This is Disaster Tales. Welcome to Disaster Tales, where we bring you interesting stories and personal experiences related to disasters and the issues that surround them. I'm Kate Fairweather. I'm here today with my co-host, John Harrell, and we're going to talk about the Kincaid fire from just a few months ago. Hi, Kate. Hi. Yeah, that, that was close to home. That was. Well, I was looking around here. The Kincaid fire started on the 23rd of October. It burned until the 6th of November, which is 14 days long time. It started because of an extreme wind event when a 230,000 volt power line broke and fell into the dry grass. And it started just a few hours before PG&E was planning to cut off their power, which they then started turning off all over the state. Yeah. So what was going on that day? Well, it was just PG&E had sent out a notice that they might be turning power off and that they were going to implement that. And then all of a sudden there was a fire. And because of previous years, there have been several fires in this area. Everybody's um, radar went on high alert. And they said, oh, no, we don't want another fire. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And so people started to get panicked. And it was interesting to hear and see it. There was a a handful of people that started to panic that and fear of fire, fear of because they'd been evacuated before mm-hmm. and they lost a home before. And then there were others that I ran into in my neighborhood that said, what's all of this fuss about evacuation? The fire is miles away from here. Yeah. And, um, one person I know, we were talking about the day before we actually evacuated, they were out running around and literally running uh, in the air, which was already quite high in particulate matters because of the, of, uh, the smoke. Mm-hmm. This is about a day, two days after the fire started. And they said, oh, we'll just hang out here. And so very blasé, very um, unconcerned about any effects that might go on. I'm jumping ahead on your story here. No, it's okay. But I remember when they talked about evacuation and evacuation in zones, and that started to happen fairly quickly. Um, where I live, the fire was up north of Santa Rosa, and I am down in a place called Sebastopol, which is just to the east, west of Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. Been there. Nice place. Yes. It's called Another World, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The people up at Mark West were already panicking because they had been evacuated and burned out uh, not too long before previous year. That would have been the campfire? Correct. Mm -hmm. And the people in Sebastopol weren't affected by that, but they knew that the fires were going because they'd gone into the Coffee Park area and burned. Uh, they could see the fires and the flames from Sebastopol uh, ridge lines, but because Sebastopol is across the what they call the Laguna de Santa Rosa, um, it provided they believed some protection from any 
continued evacuation. So what? So what is that exactly? The Laguna, the Laguna de Santa Rosa. Laguna de Santa Rosa is part of the um, watershed area. It's the largest watershed area for the Russian River, and mm -hmm. it covers 278 square miles, including all of Santa Rosa, parts of North uh, Roner Park Katadi area, and Sebastopol. And it's the largest contributory to the Russian River. Oh, okay. So they have so, a lot of water. That there's they were... water there, and there's a lot of vineyards, although the vineyards can can get caught in flame even that time of year. So people were were take beginning to take it seriously, and there are others that were, as you and I have experienced in other places in the country, in denial of having to evacuate. Let me ask you something about sure. that. You think the people that are doing that are just are just trying to maintain their cool? I mean, so that they don't let themselves panic? Or do you think that... And I, I understand some of them are probably like, well, they don't know really what's happening. But I, I'm wondering if some people are kind of like you're saying, in denial and trying to not let themselves panic for whatever reason, like they have kids that they don't want to panic or they don't want their neighbors to think that they're too hyper or anything like that? It's a complex... It's a complex um, response, and I don't think there's any one answer that fits all or in general, each one specific. In the runner, for example, that person was new to this community, and they were from back east uh, in Vermont. Yeah, not, so a, not a lot of that up there. No, it's a very different experience. Mm -hmm. And um, there are other people that... I could get a sense that they were concerned and they had already packed as soon as the fire had started um, that one day on the, what would you say, the 23rd? 23rd was the first day that it started. The 23rd, by the 23rd, 24th, some acquaintances had already packed. Mm -hmm. They were, they had had a plan in, in place. And I think that's the operative word, having a plan. Mm-hmm. And some of them, a couple of days, day or two later, they had already evacuated elsewhere uh, in the surrounding areas. And that was before they ordered an evacuation. That's correct. Uh huh. So they, their, they, their attention was up. Well, that's uh, good. Yeah, it was because the day of the event, they started doing evacuations by section, and the call out was at three a.m. and Although they had talked about how they were going to run it, it still needs some work. Um, the sirens weren't heard by everybody. Not all the streets were um, covered by the police and fire. So they did use sirens this time, though. They did. But they would just do a, a short blast, and it was like they didn't want to wake anybody up. That's my, <laughs> that's my opinion. Um, and I'm only about two blocks from the fire, fire station here in Sebastopol, and I would have expected the air raid siren type sirens to go off and just continue mm -hmm. and continue until everybody was out of, out of town. But it took me, I think it was five hours plus, almost six hours to get from a place called Sebastopol down to a place where I evacuated, which was a town of Novato. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just talk about the geography real quick. How far is Sebastopol roughly from San Francisco? It's north. It's about an hour drive. 
Okay. Sebastopol is a little over an hour drive from San. Sebastopol is a little over an hour drive from uh, San Francisco. Okay. And that's just getting across the bridge. And then Petaluma, and I know where that is. It's like 30 miles south of Santa Rosa, which is right in there somewhere. Yeah, it's about 20 <laughs> miles, 30 miles from San, Santa Rosa. And then you went to Navarro. The, Nevada, Nevada is another 10 miles or so beyond. And it took me about five, six hours to get there. So for 30, 20 miles, it took you five and a half hours or so. Yeah. That's a lot of traffic. Probably closer to probably closer to 30 miles. It would stop and go. It took me an hour to get from my house down to the fire station, made a left turn. That was two blocks. Made a left turn and going another three blocks to the center of town, it took me an hour. Wow, that is a big traffic jam. Now, how big is, is Sebastopol? I can't tell you what the total population is. It's a small little town. Mm-hmm. Up until the 80s, they still had railroad tracks going through town, and they had a noon train that went through. <laughs> uh, so it's a small little town. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... The roads in and out are one lane each way. Yeah. So they knew, they, the the authorities, when they started evacuation, they were going to be evacuating people out of Santa Rosa, out of Sebastopol. Healdsburg and Windsor, which are just north of, of Santa Rosa, were already in evacuation mode. And so you've got a million people moving south. Now, Healdsburg is where it started, right? Up above Healdsburg, yes. Yeah, okay. That's where it started. Um, I know that while you, while you were evacuating, you called me because you were you were not able to get any information at all on your phone or from your texts or anything else. And uh, I'm not sure why that was, but uh could be that there was just so many people trying to get information that it was tied up from your end. I think it was a couple things. By the time they did evacuation notices, power was off. Mm-hmm. They'd already cut down the power the day before. So the traffic lights were off. The tra- traffic lights were off and the cell towers. Oh, yeah. There were The cell towers were limited. The Internet was limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was available was impacted because of high use and high demand, mm-hmm. as we've experienced before. And we knew, we knew that was going to happen. I figured that you, outside of the area, would have access and be getting news reports from elsewhere and be able to give me what some updates were. That's right. And I, and I did. I, found, I followed CAL FIRE, which is the Cal, State California Fire Department. Correct. And then I also got a hold of the American Red Cross because they set up shelters. And we got announcements from DPS, uh, I'm sorry, Department Public Service, your state police and some other local information from newspapers and radio stations. So I, I was transmitting that to you, and I'm glad, <laughs> glad that you could use it. So I ended up going down some back roads, and that saved me, mm-hmm. um, because everybody was taking the main highways down, and because I had some back roads, which brought up part of my, my experience in evacuation, I found I got caught up in what I saw happening to other people when I was 
coming in as a responder, uh, a responder Mm -hmm. that when you're in the thick of it, the thinking is different. And I was more impressed how important having a plan in place before any event, how important that is. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, if we're hearing this message now for the first time, take your camera, photograph everything in your house, mm-hmm. find out where your important records are, contact the Red Cross, contact FEMA, contact your local um, disaster office, and find out what they're recommending for you to prepare to evacuate and in prepare for a disaster. Do that today. Don't wait until the days before or the day of to do it. It doesn't work. It didn't work for me. I know a lot of times we've talked about like taking pictures of your, taking your family pictures and uploading them or giving them to somebody else and your, also your important documents. But it's good to know what you're going to have to use to evacuate because if you don't know where you're going to end up, you don't know where you're going to sleep, you need to be ready for sleeping in a car or sleeping in a shelter or things like that. So... Yeah, you do need to kind of think about what you're going to do and what you're going to need. You know, are you going to be able to, are you going to find a place to eat? Yeah. Are you going to be able to charge your phone? You know, that's so, yeah, there's a lot. Are you going to be able to find gasoline? That's the other piece Mm -hmm. um, is to keep your tank on the top half and not the bottom half. That's right. You're running on the top half of your tank and making sure that you have the basics of what meds do I need to have? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a CPAP machine, do you have backup distilled water to run it? Mm-hmm. Because you may not be able to get even drinking water, let alone distilled water for your machine. That's right. Um, and then how much space do those necessities of CPAP machines or where you're going to sleep, how much space do they take? Do you have a vehicle that has that much space in it? Mm-hmm. How much How much clothing are you going to need? What time of year is it? Yeah. Uh, but also having your documents, um, your birth certificates, your house deed, all of that information, your insurance information, having that in a place that you can take with you. But also my suggestion is to have that stored someplace off-site where you can still access it, even digitally. Right. Copies. You- copies. Digital copies where you can access someplace else. Well, I know I've been in situations where people kept their important documents in their safe deposit boxes and the banks have like flooded and you couldn't get to them. And so <laughs> Houston. Mhm. And and so, you know, even if you have them in a safe deposit box, if you can't get to that, it's not going to do you any good. Yeah. So having copies, having electronic copies, you could put them on a thumb drive and throw it in your bag or purse or backpack or car or whatever. Or you can upload them to the cloud if you feel comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm I'm reading a book right now called Blink, and oh yes, have you read that? No, I haven't, but it's on my list. It's Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's called, and he's also written a book called The Tipping Point. Mm-hmm. But it's the power of thinking without thinking, and it's about the subconscious high speed decisions that you have to make. And one of the things that he stresses is, especially in situations where there could be danger, is you need to think about it beforehand. You you need to have a plan. If you're if your brain hasn't already gone through it, your brain can freeze, basically, 
And, uh, and when that happens, you can't make any decisions at all. Yeah. And that's where packing up, doing a trial pack up job, and you can do that as a plaything with children mm-hmm. of all the stuff that you need. And if you do have children, what are the important toys that they have for their own well-being to, right. to bring and crayons and paper and coloring books and things to keep them busy while you're trying to go through the recovery process. Mm-hmm. And it was the pre-planning that really got driven home to me this time of packing all the stuff up, generally what clothes you need, and then you can add more coats if you need to, if it's during the winter time. Um, and then planning where to go, what options you may have. And talk to those people. Mm-hmm. There were people I know that in by the time I evacuated through Petaluma, the parking lots were already filled with the RVs mm-hmm. from people uh, further north in Healdsburg and Windsor and Santa Rosa that had already evacuated the day before, the day of, and that's where they ended up stopping. So there's no place to stop. The gas was not available. Mm-hmm. Because the electricity nope. was turned off. Right. The pumps didn't work. Pumps don't work. And so then that added into part of the, com- the congestion that went on mm-hmm. until I finally got down to Nevada and, and had some friends that I could stay with. Well, that's always good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Having friends <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, and you do. So let, let's talk a few minutes about the evacuation and what like how it felt and what was going on for you and in your head as well. Because I know that when you were evacuating that I was looking at Cal fire and listening and there was the fire north of Sebastopol towards Healdsburg. It was moving from West to East towards the highway. Yes. And so I can imagine that there was people there that were concerned about getting caught in the fire in a traffic jam, which has happened before. Because Highway 1, going south, was uh, was a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And there was a portion of the highway that was, was closed. And I actually had friends in Sebastopol. They chose not to go south. They chose to go to Bodega and take Highway 1 north and then ended up um, billeting in Ukiah, which is further north, or north of the fire. Right. I remember seeing that Bodega Bay was evacuated as well. It was. And some people went south and others went north. Fewer people went north in this in this scenario, mm-hmm. went north, and they found that it was, it was easy traveling. Well, that's good. Yeah, most people went south. But the problem during that time was that that wasn't the only fire that was going on. And so... How do you make sure that where you're going isn't on fire? That's a tricky question. You don't. You just need to. That's where the Cal Fire and others who are looking have the bigger view. That's when they start making directions and suggestions of where to go. Mm -hmm. So I chose to go south and Nevada seemed like a safe place in that there was enough distance that they would be able to make a barrier or a break to keep it coming further south. Or at least you'd have time to look and see what was going on and make other plans. Yeah. And I don't, because I use quite a bit of gas or fuel in idle mode (laughs) going for those five hours of going south to Nevada. Mm -hmm. That just uses up gas. Yeah. 
in Novato, all the electricity was turned off. So we had no, no electric when I came to Novato. Mm-hmm. We then relied on, um, my friends had a car, so we charged the, the phones and whatnot in the car when we had that going or running an errand or something. And so that brought up a whole, with a number of us, how do we maintain our contact? It's so focused on, for us, was on the electronic being the cell phone, the iPad, or a computer of where we get information and how to keep that connectivity. And a number of us went back out and got, I think it was Goal Goal Zero is one of the companies that has uh, solar charged batteries. Mm -hmm. They're small and so a lot of those were were picked up and used quite frequently. Yeah, I actually have one of those for my cell phone. And so we ended up, I've ended up having actually several, one that I keep in my truck, one that I keep with me, one that I keep in my bags mm-hmm. uh, as a as a brick battery or brick charge, whatever they call. But then the next step was to get a larger battery and a larger cell and a solar charger so that I could end up putting it in the front window and in sunlight and to be able to charge my um, devices. Yeah, that's that's the one I have. I have a I have a solar one because I because I've ended up out in parking lots, you know, and if my cell phone ran down, then. I couldn't connect my computer when I was working. And so, yeah, I, fi- I find that that's very helpful. And that goes back into for the cell phones to work and the computers to work. We need to have that connectivity. And those cell towers need to be able to have electricity to send the signal back out. Well, that's important for those, those companies to have battery backup and a way to keep those powered because that's the way the information gets out. Yeah, and is, do they have that? Do they have backup batteries and solar chargers on those towers? They're supposed to. Some have some chollers, solar, some have battery backup, some don't. And when they go down, they just go down. And that was part of our problem because then the signal in Nevada was, was reduced, mm-hmm. and we didn't get, always have a good clear signal. Right, yeah, well, you get, you get a lot of people on there. You lose bandwidth to use it up. So So you're going... You're, you've, it's taken you 30 minutes to go five blocks and you're having trouble getting information on where the fire is. So what was going on in your head? My go, what was going on is why didn't I go earlier? (laughs) And to be honest with you, I had three reasons for not going er earlier. Maya, Emmett, (laughs) and Bella. So they were cats. cats. (laughs) So I not only evacuated myself. But I also evacuated the cats, which added another dimension to my evacuation. That's right. I had the three cats in, in cat carriers in my car, in my truck. Initially, they were not very happy about the move at all. Mm-hmm. And they told me about it. <laughs> By the time I got to Petaluma, I realized I didn't have the cat boxes. Yep. So I needed to stop at the grocery store and get cat boxes, get cat litter, and bags and whatnot, which <laughs> I did not, I had not thought about because there were cats of, the cats belonged to a friend of mine. They mm-hmm. had already evacuated, and they actually evacuated down to Santa Cruz, and they were being evacuated out of where they were in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. I was up here in Sebastopol, and the only one who could take care of the cats, and 
I was not going to let the cats get in dangers. So I picked the cats up and took them with me. Yeah. And I didn't think about having, oh, well, not only do I have to have the cats, I need cat food. I need litter boxes. And you need water for them, too. And water. Mm-hmm. So I got bowls, I got water, I, and all of that I just ended up picking up on the road. And that's where the pre-planning comes in. Mm-hmm. So to have your cat boxes, if you have cats or pets, have the cat boxes in a place. Have them already packed with, with some food and some water and whatever else it is that you need. And litter boxes and litter that you can then all pick that up in one fell swoop. Transport that, get that packed into the car and, and you can take off safely. Yeah, well... What did you find where you went? Was there any place for them to be? Do they let them in shelters down there? or They have separate places for shelters uh, and pet shelters, and the pets need to be contained. Mm-hmm. So where I went, I went with friends. They happened to have a cat, and they let me bring the cats and let the cats loose in their house. Oh, that's good. That was just such a gift mm-hmm. um, for them, and I so appreciate uh, Violet and her family letting me come in and, and stay with the kitties. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to leave without their pets. I can, understandably, if they're fleeing from something that could kill them, they don't want to leave their pets. But for a, a long time, that was something that was addressed in emergency planning. But after, I think it was after Hurricane Katrina, they started trying to co-locate pet shelters with human shelters so that they could just step outside and visit their pet. Yeah. It's so important for both for the pet because they're going through trauma of not understanding what the upset is about and why all the fuss is going on. And also for, for the pet caretaker or owner, Mm -hmm. um, because that pet is part of their relationship, part of their support system. And, they both need that that interaction. Yeah, and that, it helps both. That does help a lot. I know. I've I remember having people who didn't want to leave because they couldn't take their dog. Yeah. And uh, trying to get them out of there, you know, because you, it, it's really hard when you're displaced and moving around to find anybody who can help you take care of an animal like that. So, yeah, it's now part of emergency planning. I. I know from the last couple times I was in California, they let them bring their dogs and cats into the service area where we're, we're, we're working and helping people get assistance. And there was a man who was working with the lady sitting beside me, and this guy had a, a large dog, and somebody else had a large dog, and they started fighting right behind this man. Well, this man climbed up on the chair and up on the desk because he had a fear of dogs. And he started yelling, get those dogs away from me, get those dogs away. So I understand them wanting to have them and bringing them in, but I I really wish that what would happen is that they would pre-plan to put like a, a pet care, daycare area outside of the building. Because they had an area there where you could bring your children, of course it was inside of the building, but you put your children in there, there was child care workers and you went around and got all your information and everything done and then you pick your kids back up and leave i wish they would do that for their pets as well yeah that would be ideal because it's not only large dogs that can perceived as as fear fear Mm -hmm. with some people because of 
a previous experience with a large dog. And also there's some people that are just have allergies with, with dogs and cats. Exactly. And that's another whole nother issue that needs to be addressed for everybody's need. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I believe it's important to find a way to have them co-relocate mm-hmm. in some way that's amicable for both the, the human owner or the partner and other humans and the pets um, and such. That's, that's an important piece that you brought up. Now, in your area, do they have, does the ASPCA, the American Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, do they have programs as far as taking in pets temporarily? Some of them are large. Um, I know with the large animals, they would go to uh, often to the fairgrounds, uh, both here in Santa Rosa and in Petaluma. Mm-hmm. And there are some other owners that will take the large animals. The smaller animals, the pet shelters they get inundated very very quick mm-hmm. and there's just no place for them i know some owners would just turn their pets loose mm-hmm. um and that has uh, arguments on both sides yeah uh, and i chose to keep mine with me i know so. that i know that when i was out there last year there was a woman who was concerned because she couldn't find her cat when the fire was coming because the cat got scared and went and hid somewhere. Yeah. And this was in paradise where everything burned and she went back and her cat was there. He'd gotten under something and stayed there until it went by. Yeah. Cats have a, animals have a strong survival instinct. (laughs) They do. (laughs) And that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's also, I, I will bring up the other side. I still see people finding a lot of stray animals around. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think are still dislo- dislocated from the fire. Yeah. There's also, when the fire happens, there's also a lot of dislocation of a lot of wildlife, mm-hmm. whether it's just uh, rabbits or deer, but also rats and mice. They get moved and shifted, the birds and squirrels. They get shifted around, and that population begins to get competitive at times. Mm-hmm. I know, again, this year we've had a, an inundation of rats that are seem to be higher than usual. Mm-hmm. in this community. And we think it's because they've gotten moved out of the other areas that have been burned. Well, yeah, there's nothing, if there's nothing there for them to eat, they're going to leave and go somewhere else. Yeah. And they look for something to eat and will do other damage. <laughs> so once you got, once you got out of Sebastopol, did you get on highway one to start? I finally got down to uh, Petaluma and I mm-hmm. took back roads to Petaluma. It was my choice not to get on highway one or one Oh one. Good choice. And then I took the back roads into Nevada. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the smart way to go. I just avoided all of the 101 traffic. It just, it intimidated me. Which brings up another piece um, that I experienced in that if I'm relying on my cell phone for information to communicate to you and whoever else mm-hmm. and the cell towers, and if I need directions mm-hmm. and the cell tower is down, I don't have the directions. So that goes back to having hard copies of maps, such as your AAA maps, and have those of your area and or county or, or state in place so that you can, um, can access them if you don't have electric power. 
Yeah, that's and I and I sometimes wonder if people can read maps anymore. <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> but I spent when I was a kid, my dad flew gliders and he would fly them long distance, and then we'd have to tow the trailer and go and pick him up. And my mother was driving and I'd be navigating. So when I was very young, I learned how to read a map. <laughs> and and then I learned how to read aerial maps as well because I was taking flying lessons and but anyways, map reading is it's something you need to look at. I mean, if you're going to if you going to depend on a hard copy map, which is a good thing, you should have a copy in your glove box. Then you need to make sure that you understand what you're looking at too. Mhm. Because um it's sometimes if you're if you're not used to looking at those, it can be confusing. Yeah, and generally the blue lines are not roadways. No. <laughs> Not unless you have a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you didn't have the you didn't have the problem then of the fire approaching the road where you were. No, I didn't have that. Was all north of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fire never got into uh, Sebastopol. When eventually we came back, I was out for about four or five days. I think it was at least that. Um, and we just sort of made things do. Violet's mother is a nurse in San, in San Francisco, so she was still on nurse duty mm-hmm. and working in San Francisco through all the fire. Uh, Violet's father was still uh, was with the bank, and he was still doing IT support and managed the bank's IT system. So he mm-hmm. was. They were both going to work. Yeah. So fortunately, I was there, and and my friend was there, and so we we got to house sit the kids. Oh, and that was good. great. <laughs> well, it was fun. The, the two kids are just delights. And um, they didn't fully understand why they were getting out of school, but they were going along, along with it. <laughs> no school, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I got pretty good at, at, um, at playing Uno. <clears throat> I never really won, but I got, I got better at it. <laughs> I like Uno. <laughs> One time I was working, doing ESL with mostly mostly Cambodian and and Muslim ref- refugees from uh Qatar and I t- I got like five or six Uno decks and I got 20 some people around a big table and we just played Uno and so they were learning their numbers and their colors that way and it was and it was really funny cuz some of some of the people understood the rules and some of them were kind of confused so they'd be yelling at each other <laughs> Looking at their cards and <laughs> so, but that was a lot of fun, and they really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it. And I like cards, anyways. But yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah, it's good stuff. So it's, it's a low skill game. <laughs> <laughs> My speed. <laughs> so, was there any time when you were evacuating that you were feeling anxious or worried or? Well, I, I, when I started, when it took me an hour to get and took me an hour to drive five blocks, um, mm-hmm. I started thinking. I said, "Oh my God, this is going to be the way. It's going to be all the way down to Novato." And I said, "You know, I've got you know a good tank of gas, but how much gas am I going to use?" Yeah. Started thinking about well, how many miles do is it at this speed? How much gas am I going? You know, you've flown, so you know how to you start working out your mileage mm-hmm. and your fuel supply. So that was a cons- began to be a concern of mine. And then I started thinking, why didn't I leave earlier? Yeah. 
And that's, I started looking at that and I said, well, why didn't I pack differently? And that's the thought process that went through my head. So why, why didn't I leave earlier? Why didn't I pack earlier? What else? Part of it was, you know, well, maybe they won't evacuate us. Maybe mm-hmm. they won't turn the, the, the power off. Um, well, I've got to juggle three cats. Um, they're going to be easier if they leave them at home. The longer we stay at home, the easier it's going to be on them. And maybe it won't be necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was going through my head. And then I finally got the day before I said, this is smart to get out of here early. Let me get my stuff packed. So I got my stuff packed. And then that the next morning at three o'clock, the sirens ran and I said, I, I need to get out of here. So I got the cats and packed up and got out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have done it earlier. Well, the, and that's, that's a good lesson learned that when you know that there's an evacuation in your area, get ready for it to be at your place. And then when you get it, get out or before. Yeah. And I think my friends who got out earlier the day before, two days before they were smart. Mm-hmm. They had an easy drive, easy commute to wherever they ended up, less fuss, less st- stress. Um, it was just a whole lot easier. Yeah. My friends, in hindsight, they would have gotten more food in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that they would have had electric out, they would have gotten more propane gas uh, for their barbecue to cook on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that time of year, early November, the weather was still pleasant. Um, and so we ended up barbecuing or cooking on, on a barbecue. Well, it was pancakes or, or chicken. Uh, we did that. And, but that's another piece of it is, is what food you get, because if you don't have electricity, you don't have refrigeration, you don't have icebox or freezer. Right. Well, and one of the biggest <laughs> questions we get at FEMA is, do you replace food that was destroyed in the refrigerator? Because if you're gone and there's no power, if you're gone for a few days, when you come back, that refrigerator is nasty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's surprising how quickly a refrigerator warms up inside. Right. Yeah. On all the time. And it is it is a not very long. Do they keep it cold? And I was surprised <laughs> about the freezers, even the chest freezers, um, how they did not keep things cold for very long. Yeah. Fortunately, I was able to get an ice box and I get saved a lot of stuff that way. Well, that's good. But that's another thing to think about is, yeah, maybe an ice box is, uh, box is a better way to preserve your food or freezer in an ice box. But then if you do that, you also need to, to insulate your ice box beyond what it is when you buy it from the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can do that with blankets and styrofoam and stuff. So I'm looking at declarations and it, I don't see that this disaster has been declared by FEMA. I don't believe it was. I see the Mendocino complex, high winds and, uh, it says wildfires and high winds from July. The incident period for December 4th, they declared wildfires, mud flows, flooding, and debris. They did the Creek Fire and the Pawnee Fire, Klamathon Fire, West Fire, Holiday Fire, Car Fire, Cranston Wild. I don't see the uh, Kincaid Fire on here at all. I don't think it was, and I think uh, 45 was really reluctant to provide any relief to California at that time. I know that that that, that 
the Kincaid fire had the most damage to households. I think there was over, I can't find the number, but there was over 300 housing searchers that were burned. And none of the other fires had anywhere near that many. Yeah. So I don't really remember what kind of threshold that is. But the mandatory evacuations alone is is something that they should, I personally think they should declare for. And because when you have a mandatory evacuation and the, the government is basically forcing you to leave for your own safety, you know, you have expenses that you wouldn't otherwise incur. Oh, yeah. So if you have to go and stay at a motel or pay rent for a a little trailer park where you can park your fifth wheel or whatever, um, that sometimes that that if the state can't address that, then, then sometimes FEMA can. And so what I would say to anybody evacuating a mandatory evacuation where they're told they have to go is to go and save your receipts. Because if you have to stay somewhere and pay for that out of your pocket, then you can bring that in something that we may be able to help with at FEMA. Yeah. Now I can't guarantee that because I work for the government. I can't guarantee anything, but, (laughs) but Definitely save your receipts because uh, that's something that we can look at helping people with. Or other places may be able to help with that. And any mm-hmm. any expenses, if you're evacuated, it's a mandatory evacuation, save all your receipts. Yeah. Um, and then deal with it. Um, after. Yeah, afterwards. Even some insurance companies will pay for some of it, mm-hmm. although there may be a deductible. But that's something you can negotiate and find out from your insurance company and or the other agencies that are responding. Right. So if you have to evacuate and FEMA opens up in your area, bring them on in. We'll sort yeah. through them and see what we can help you with. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else that you think we need to talk about about this? Is... Well, there's the other pieces. Yeah. Then there's coming back home and reentering back into your home and cleaning out the refrigerator of the, all the stuff that was there that got too hot you had to clean out um how many days were you gone i was gone five days that's enough to have a nasty Uh, refrigerator so the other piece of that is is if you're going to evacuate think about that cleaning out your refrigerator before you evacuate leave the doors ajar so it doesn't get smelly because once the refrigerator gets smelly like that sometimes you don't get the smell out right but the other piece is is also take your favorite books to read and, and whatnot while you're on evacuated. But coming back, it's being gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. You've gone through a big upset of having to relocate, move out, all of that, that emotional trauma of not knowing, of, of the fear of possibilities, of, of losing things. So be gentle with yourself, reintegrating back into your life and your normal life. Things you may be on edge, just take a breath and and be gentle. Go slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've got friends and support system, talk about what's going on. And that's something that we I think we talk about. We've talked about several times. It seems like when you have any kind of upset or trauma like that, and the worse it is, the more important it is. You got to talk about it. It feels to me like when it's happened to me. I have to tell the story a certain amount of times before it like settles in my head. And so I think that taking these wild circulating thoughts in your head and forcing yourself to put them into words actually helps you 
digest the information and settle your brain back down. So definitely, I mean, and if people are tired of listening to it, doesn't matter. Just keep telling them <laughs> or find somebody else to tell. I don't know how many times I've had people walk up to me at the mall and, and say, and tell me weird things like, I just found out my son's on drugs or my husband's having an affair. I mean, total strangers, but they got to tell it. So We do. And, and when I can tell the story without crying, mm-hmm. tells me I I'm working it through. Yeah. And I, I need to do that. As you said, whatever that number of times is mm-hmm. for it to process, for me to integrate it. And when I can start telling it without the emotional charge tells me I'm in the healing journey. Mm-hmm. The grief is like that. It comes up and goes, there's no control over it. It has its own life and just be gentle with it and accept the gift that it, that it has to offer you when it's in its shadow. Yeah. And, and if you're dealing with somebody who has been through a disaster, be patient because they're going to tell you more than once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just nod and say, yeah, I understand. Or maybe you don't understand, but say, I, I, I feel for you. It sounds t- terrible. It sounds tough. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. And, and there's a, there's a gift in that, that that person feels safe enough with you to to disclose that their trauma mm-hmm. they're hurt with you that's a gift yeah yeah it is and uh like i said for me it just happens out of the blue <laughs> i guess i have that face <laughs> that tell me everything face because <laughs> they do well when you were talking about like how you were feeling when you were evacuating i was talking with a lady at lunch today And I was telling her about a woman from last year who, she was real cute. She was in her mid-30s probably. And she was obviously like a really perky soccer mom. And she was trying to remain perky to keep her kids calm. And she was, so when she was talking to me, she was talking really perky and her eyes were wide open and she was, but she was petrified and you could tell by her hands shaking and things like that, but she was, sounded real tearful. And she told me that she had had to evacuate through the fire and that her children, she put them in the back seat and she put bags over their heads so they couldn't see what was going on. And she oh, was wow. driving through there. They couldn't see her being upset. Because she was, you know, you can be perky up to a point, but you're going to be scared out of your mind if you're having to drive through a fire to get to safety. And mm-hmm. she and she hadn't really started to process any of that yet. But um, it, it's a it's a like grief with another couple of steps added, because before you get to the grief process, usually you get the 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 state where you're, oh my god, I made it. I survived. That's all that matters. And Mm -hmm. then a lot of people have the next step, which is I need to help as many people as I can. And even people that aren't involved in the fire do that because you get people who contact us and say, is how can I help? What do you need? Do you need blankets? Do you need food? Do you need? And, and so a a fire like that involves the entire community. So you get those two stages before you start your grief stages. Mm-hmm. I got stuck in the how can I help stage and <laughs> now I do it for a living. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, good. It was a good learning experience for me. Yeah. Fortunately, that's all it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was lucky. Mm. I was lucky. Very lucky. So let me ask you this off subject. Well, not really. Okay. Did you get that book? Yes, I did. Did you yeah. read it? It's it's my domestic terror book. Domestic terror. Yeah, it's a fiction book about people that live in a town and things that happen to them. Yeah, and that's that's my read this weekend, and I'm excited. Good. Yes. <laughs> well, in your copy, chapter 24 is repeated, but that's been fixed for any further copies. <laughs> well, I thought that was the best chapter because I could. I was read worth reading twice. a second time. Yeah. That's what I thought. So. Go ahead and read what's on the what's on the back of it so that people know what it's about. You want me to read that out loud? Yeah. After a violent incident, Kitty Finn flees North Carolina for her hometown of Fortnoy, New York. There, she finds safe haven, reconnects with old classmates, and tries to start anew. But trouble follows, and Kitty learns she can't shrug off her former life as easily as she thought. What will it take for her to escape her recent past and live in safety and peace? Maybe a little help from her friends. That's right. So that's what it's about. It's a story about stories, and if you're interested in reading that, uh, it's available on Amazon, Domestic Terror by K.L. Fairweather. And you can either get it as the electronic, an ebook, or you can actually get a paperback as well. And hopefully you won't have any repeated chapters if you get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm of the old school. I like the, I like the paperback. I like the copy of, of a book in my hand mm-hmm. that I hold and feel. Um, there's something special about that. And don't forget the cape. <laughs> I I know that I remember reading science fiction years ago where people, the anachronistic old curmudgeon pilot of a spaceship would have real books to read and everybody else was going, why do you have those when you can just pull up a screen and read it? And he, he said, well, you said, I like to feel the books. I like the paper. I like the way it smells. I like to read that way. Yeah. So, That's yeah. the way I... <laughs> <laughs> Well, John, I appreciate. Is there anything else that you want to put in here? Or? Yeah, I do, and I think from my experience, I want to encourage you. If you're listening to this and Kate's programs and the other programs that Kate's put together, get that contact your local disaster folks, whether it's this county or the state, or your local Red Cross or your FEMA websites, and get your action plan in place. And put it in place now. Plan this weekend. Well, yeah, plan this weekend or the second weekend of the year. And just plan to get your act together in case you have to respond in your local community or someplace else. Get your materials. Get your documents together. Figure out how you're going to do it in your plan of action. Get your maps. Whatever it takes that you need to do. Do that before your disaster happens before the need happens. Yeah, because you, when it actually comes time where you need it, you may not have much time to do it. And you may not be thinking straight. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm concerned about. And be gentle with yourself. Absolutely. Well, you can get information about how to put together uh, an evacuation kit or a go kit from FEMA.gov. And you can also get it from the American Red Cross, which has a website, which I believe is American Red Cross. 
www.emergencyplanning.org. If not, just Google it, you'll find it. And check with your local emergency planning department. Every county normally has an emergency planner, and they also have uh, the local area, let's see, local emergency planning commission or committee where you can actually have input into what is going to happen in your community if you have a disaster. Yeah. Do that. Do that now, not and, later. And don't forget the kitty litter. Yes. <laughs> and the kitty treats. Yeah, and the treats. That's right. <laughs> kitty treats are important. Well, John, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for talking with us about this. I know that it wasn't the most fun thing you've ever done, but uh, it's glad that I'm glad you could share it with us. Well, thank you for including me, Kate. And also, I want to thank you for doing this this service, this program, a series of, of casts and, about disaster and disaster response and, and whatnot. So thank you. Well, I'm happy to do it. That's what I do, disasters. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do it well. Thanks. Thanks, Kate. Thank you for listening to Disaster Tales. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our website is www.disastertales.com. Music by Stephanie Cerny. Please feel free to give us a rating. We'd be happy to know what you think. Today's disaster tip comes from John Harrell, our guest. If you have to evacuate, make sure that you have some maps in that glove box. And with cell towers down, GPS might not be as accurate as it should be. I've actually seen GPS directions that tell you to go right onto a pier and into the Pacific Ocean. So having a paper map handy is a good way to make sure that you don't get lost and caught in a disaster.